passion for God, and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. You know, this, uh, this past week I was reading in the book of Second Chronicles. And one of the stories in Second Chronicles is of King Josiah. Uh, and King Josiah was one of these kings in, in Judah. And at one point, uh, he found the book of the law, basically the Bible. And when he found it, he, he tore his clothes, basically as a sign of anguish, uh, a sign of just complete, utter despair, because he realized that the people of Israel were not following that book. And it just wrecked him on the inside. And as I was, as I was studying that passage, it, it kind of just wrecked me on the inside too. And, and I just pray, we're going to pray here in a second for God to come and speak to us. Uh, but I just pray that that would be true of us this morning. That as we open God's word, that he would come and speak to us in the same way that he came and spoke to King Josiah. So let's pray. God, as the words of the song that we just sang say, Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. And Father, as we seek to follow you here on this earth, God, let that be true. That you would speak to us day in and day out until your church is built, until you come back to establish your kingdom here on earth. And I pray that in some small way that you would use this time right now as, you, as we open your word to do that. That as we open your word, that you would come and speak to us that you would reveal your heart to us, and especially as we talk about the, the issue of suffering and, and hurt and hard times. God, I pray that especially those here who are facing hard times, that they would feel your presence and that they would hear you speaking to them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Crosswinds Church. My name is Jordan, uh, the campus pastor here in Spencer. If you were here last week, you were probably alone by yourself because we had the opportunity to gather together with our other campus in Spirit Lake and join for worship in Milford. Had a beautiful day outside in one of the parks in Milford. Wonderful time. If you missed it, uh, don't worry because we're going to be doing that frequently. Uh, throughout our church's life because we are a multi-campus church, a church that gathers in multiple locations even though we're just one church. And so every now and then we will be gathering together with our Spirit Lake campus uh, for worship. So wonderful time, uh, some wonderful food, and just, just loved it. Uh, but if you were here the week before that, you remember that we started a series on the book of First Peter. And as we began to look at First Peter, we saw that this is a letter that was really written to people that are in the midst of the storms of life. It was a letter written to people who are facing hard times, facing the difficulties in their lives. And Peter is writing this letter to them to tell them of how the good news of the gospel really affects them. See, I don't think that we would have to look too far to find some somewhat similar pain here this morning as what Peter was writing to. There are a lot of us here who may be suffering with different things, and some of us may be suffering in great ways. Some of us may think that our suffering is insignificant because it isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. But I want us to know this morning that God cares for all of us in the midst of our suffering. 
It doesn't matter if you just lost your car or if you lose your job or even if you lose your spouse. God cares for all of us in the midst of our suffering. Last time we were in 1 Peter, we kind of looked at the book as a whole, and we saw a little bit of the foundation for the rest of our time as we are going through this book. It serves a little bit of a found, as a foundation. And one of the things that we saw was that Peter, at the very beginning, is talking about our identity as Christians. He's talking about who we are. And what we do because of who we are. I think a lot of times in the church we think of uh, the things that we're supposed to do as Christians as the way that we restore our relationship with God. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that the things that we do, and we're going to get into a little bit of that as we continue through 1 Peter. All of those things are done because of who we are, because of what God has done, and how he has made a change in our lives. If you remember, Peter brought up one key part of our identity, and that was that we are elect exiles. We are elect exiles, meaning that we are elect, we are God's chosen people. He's chosen us to be his children, of all things. And at the same time, we are exiles. So even though we belong to God as a part of his family, at the same time, we may not fit in to this world because we are part of God's kingdom. We long for our homeland as exiles. And our homeland isn't here in the United States. It isn't where our ancestors come from. Our homeland is ultimately the kingdom of God with God. And that's what we long for as Christians, as elect exiles. This morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 again. We're going to be looking at the next section, which is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And one of the things that we're going to see as we work our way through this is basically Peter is singing a song. He's writing a hymn about who God is. He's talking about how great God is and and all of the things that God has done for all of of the Christians that he is writing to. And as we are working our way through this hymn, what we're going to see is that Peter describes this big view of God, and this big view of God is crucial. It's essential for us in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the hard times of our lives. The only thing that's going to get us through is having a big picture of God. And that's why Peter focuses on a time of praise right here. In fact, if you were to sum up what we're going to be talking about this morning, if you're going to sum up what verses 3 through 9 say, it's really this, that a big picture of God is crucial for the hard times of life. Having a big understanding of God, recognizing God for who he is, is crucial for helping us endure in the midst of these difficult times, helping us to move forward in these hard times, and even helping us to grow in the midst of these difficulties that we face. In November 2009, there was this pastor named Matt Chandler. Uh, He's a pastor down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. How many of you have have heard of him by chance? Uh, He's a pastor and author, and uh, in November 2009, he... uh, mysteriously collapsed while helping his wife prepare Thanksgiving dinner. Now, Matt Chandler is one of those darlings of Christianity, basically. Uh, He is the pastor of a church that is over 10,000 people uh, at the age of 35 when this happened. Uh, He has a wife who uh, was signed to a record label and so was a great singer. Uh, He was good friends with the Christian band Shane and Shane. It seemed like he had everything going for him. But then in November 2009, on Thanksgiving morning, he collapsed mysteriously. And when they found out what was wrong with him, they found out that he had a large brain tumor. And this brain cancer that he was diagnosed with was, had a high rate of fatality. And so Matt Chandler was, fo- was forced to face an issue in his life. He had preached about trusting God in the midst of difficulties. But now he actually had to live it out. 
Now he actually had to say, okay, this is what I am going to do. This is how it affects who I am. Praise God that, that Chandler is now, uh, he's now cancer-free. But in the midst of that, in the midst of the chemotherapy, he had no idea what the end of that story was. And so we would look at his story, and as, as people would talk to him and have interviews with him, they would say, how on earth do you survive? How on earth do you endure? How on earth do you make it through all of this? They asked the same thing of his wife. How are you enduring in the midst of all of this difficulty? And just about every interview that they had, Matt Chandler said it was a big view of God who helped him through the difficulties that he faced. It was a big understanding of who God is, that God is not caught off guard by this cancer, that God is not uh, guessing what he's going to do next, but that God is in charge, that helped him through these difficulty, uh, this difficulty that he faced. That's, in a way, kind of what Peter does here. He informs our view of God. He tries to expand our view of God by telling us three things about God's bigness, about God's vastness. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be verses 3 through 9. Uh, but first thing that we're going to say is just in verses 3 through 5. So first point about a big picture of God is this. A big picture of God starts with who God is and what he has done. A big picture of God starts with who God is and what he has done. Hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you notice how Peter begins this section, it's with praise. We kind of talked about this being a hymn. Uh, a time of praise to God. See, he's, he's addressing people who are suffering. He's addressing people who are facing difficulties in their lives. And the first thing that he does isn't encouraging them. He encourages them by running to the source of ultimate encouragement, by running to God himself. Just imagine how big of a deal this would have been for the Christians that he was writing to. In fact, just think of how big of a deal this would be for the Christians today who are suffering to run to the source of ultimate encouragement. This is truly what people need to hear when they are faced with difficulties in their lives. See, a lot of times I think we have a tendency when we're faced with hard times in our lives to focus on the problem and not focus on God himself. But what Peter does right here, right at the very beginning, is he's talking about this issue. He's saying, don't focus on the problem. Focus on Jesus. Focus on God and see how he is going to help you through this. See, when we talk about suffering, we may not know the ultimate reason why we suffer in our lives. God never promises to tell us why he, does, he allows the things that he allows to happen to us. He never tells us why he allows some people to die early, why he allows some people to lose their jobs. But we do know as we read Scripture... And as we look at the cross, we know the reason that it can't be. It can't be that God doesn't care about us. Because the cross tells us the exact opposite of that. That even in the midst of our hard times, in the midst of our difficulties, that God still cares for us. For the high school student who has, uh, loves basketball but blew out her knee and, and thinks that God is punishing her because of something, the cross tells us that God took her punishment. 
for the man who, uh, go, who has been divorced and is focused on all of these stares that he sees from everyone around him every single Sunday. And he wonders whether this Christianity thing is worth it. The cross tells him that he is worth it. In the midst of this suffering, we look at the cross, we look at God first in the midst of all of these things. You see, in the truest sense, praise, worshiping God, is a remedy for heavy hearts. It's an antidote for heavy hearts. When we are focused on the difficulties of life, praise helps us to focus on God himself. Helps us to get our gaze off of our problems and get that gaze onto God in Jesus Christ himself. And that's what Peter does here in this section. He gives us a long list of reasons why we can praise God. There are many different reasons why we can praise God, but he starts with just one, and he says that we've been born again. Now, born again, that's a really Christian-y word, a Christian-y phrase, but that's what Peter says here. When we talk about being born again, I love the way that Peter uses this phrase, because there's no doubt who's in charge of this born-again process when he mentions it here. Notice that he says that God has caused us to be born again. God is the one who is in charge in bringing us new life and giving birth and making us a part of his family, making us a part of his new creation. For some of us, we can recognize that this is really different than the way that natural birth occurs. It seems like natural birth, for whatever, whatever reason that we want to have it on a certain day, want to give birth on a certain day, it seems like sometimes the children decide that they're going to hold us hostage in the midst of our birth process. And now we can, we can induce labor and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, sometimes it seems like the children can hold us hostage, and they're the ones who are in charge of being born. And yeah, I, I haven't had kids, so uh, I'm just speaking, you know, I, I assume all of this kind of stuff. But that's not what happens with the, the new birth. That's not what happens when God is at work. He is the one who causes new birth. He is the one who causes us to be born again. And notice what Peter is doing here. He's not saying that the only reason that we have to praise God is because of the cross. We can praise God because he's a part of the salvation process from the very beginning. He's the one who's in charge of it, who's bringing us salvation by causing us to be born again. Not only that, but he mentions a little bit about this living hope that we are a part of. See, we're not just called to a new life. We're not just given new life, but this new life that we have is a life with a purpose. It's a life with hope. And that hope isn't just something that we recognize is in the future, way off in the distance when we finally get to go to heaven. But it is something for here and for right now. Going back to Matt Chandler and his story, he tells us one time where he was uh, undergoing chemotherapy treatments and he would uh, have to lay on this concrete slab for hours at a time while they shot radiation through his brain. And he said that one of the guys that he got to know in the midst of all this process, the way he endured the radiation and the chemotherapy that he was experiencing was he focused, he imagined on him playing a round of golf at his favorite course. Now, Matt Chandler is six foot five. He's a former college athlete, so you'd think that he would probably do something similar. He'd focus back on the glory days of him playing football or, or have daydreams about him playing in the NBA or in, in uh, the National Football League or something like that. But that's not, what, uh, that's not what Matt Chandler did because he knew that it was ultimately an illusion. It was just imaginary. Instead, he decided that he needed to focus on something more real than that, a part of his living hope. And so he would meditate on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, which is an ancient Christian hymn, 
which talks about how God is in charge in Jesus over everything. How Jesus is the firstborn over creation. How he is in charge of everything. That everything is about him. And that's what would help him make it through those difficult sessions as, as poison was radiating through his body. He focused on the living hope that he had. So what is this living hope? Well, that's what Peter mentions here in verse 4 when he talks about this inheritance. This inheritance that we have is our living hope, that we get to enjoy God. We get to be a part of his kingdom someday. I love the way that he describes this kingdom when he says that it is, uh, I just want to read it for you, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, what he's saying is that it will never go away. It will never lose its market value. And it will never be tarnished. Because it's kept in heaven with God. See, this inheritance is the kingdom of God. The fact that we get to have relationship with, with God for the rest of our lives and eternity. But it's not just that. That's not the only part of our living hope. That's what verse 5 tells us. Verse 5 mentions that God watches over us. See, God protects us in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of the hard times of our lives that we face. Just imagine how important this would sound to people on the other side of the world right now. If you've been following the news, you know probably what's happening in northern Iraq uh, with this terrorist group, ISIL. Uh, They've been systematically killing Christians uh, of any age, uh, not only Christians, but also minority groups uh, of any age because they are extremist uh, Muslims. And in the midst of all of this suffering, in the midst of these dark times that people are facing, this statement that God will protect us, that God will watch over us, has to be something that they just cling to, that they run to, that God says, yeah, people may tear you away from your home. People may tear you away from your family. You may even end up in death, but nothing worse than death will happen to you. The, the imagery that God uses here of God watching over us is almost like a, a soldier evacuating civilians from a hostile territory, protecting them, watching over the helpless and making sure that they don't get hurt, they don't get lost. You may be saying, well, Jordan, how on earth is that good news that nothing worse than death can happen to us? After all, that's kind of a big deal. But this gives us perspective. Perspective of things on the broad scale of how God is at work in protecting us, and God is at work watching over us, and how he is caring for us. See, God will walk with us, and that's, that's really what he promises here. That he's going to be with us in the midst of our difficult times, in the midst of our dark times. God doesn't just give us the right answers. God doesn't just tell us that He's going to be with us, because sometimes that can be relatively unhelpful. God doesn't just say, you know, I am in charge of everything, and I'm working this out for your good, because sometimes that can be unhelpful. Sometimes we just want someone to hear us out, someone to uh, weep with us, to walk with us in the difficult times, and that's what this passage tells us. It tells us that God, in addition to protecting us, also walks with us. Even when we can't feel him, that God is right there with us in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our darkest times. This is why a big view of God is so important for us. It's so crucial for us. Because God is with us in these difficult times. 
about a month ago, we were talking about different religions, and one of the religions we looked at was this cultural Christianity. Basically, the religion that we see all around us in, in the United States. And one of the biggest differences between cultural Christianity and, and biblical Christianity is that in the Bible, we see that God is big enough to, to walk with us in those dark times. Cultural Christianity, their God is, is far from big enough. He's too small to be able to depend on him in the midst of our dark times. God walks with us in the difficulties of life. And because he walks with us in the difficulties of life, we can trust in him to help us endure the present. A big picture of God helps us to endure the present. Hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See here, Peter is continuing his song of praise, but it's fascinating what he does here. As he's continuing singing about who God is and what God has done for him, he focuses on things that are going to be important and things that are going to be relevant to the situation that the, the people he's writing to would find themselves in. He brings up things that are very important for people who are suffering and what God has done and how that applies to where we are right now, the situation, the life situation we find ourselves in right now. See, verse 6 is a very important verse. Very important verse when we talk about suffering as a whole because it tells us a lot of things about what God does when it comes to suffering and, and where does suffering fit into to who God is and that kind of thing. just want to bring up two of those. The first thing is this. Verse 6 tells us that suffering is not a part of God's original creation. Suffering is not a part of God's original creation. Notice what it says there. It says, if necessary, you will endure these trials. In other words, it's saying that, you know, suffering isn't necessarily a part of your life. God didn't create this world and include suffering in it. It wasn't until the fall that suffering became a part of this world. If you look at Buddhism, it tells you that life is suffering. And some Iowa State fans would probably say, yeah, that's probably true after yesterday. Uh, but that's not what the Bible tells us. There are times where we can have a good life, that we aren't experiencing any hardships in our lives. It's a little taste of heaven here on earth, a taste of what things will be like when God brings his kingdom here on this earth. Suffering is not necessarily a part of God's creation. And second, it tells us this, that even though it wasn't a part of God's original part of creation, God is still in control over it. God still watches over and knows what's going on when it comes to suffering. This is what it means when he calls it these, this suffering, he calls it trials, various trials that you will face. Trial means that God is using this for our good, using this to make us more like him. And we can trust him in the midst of those things. See, when we suffer, when we go through difficult times in our lives, I think a lot of times we just try to get out of it as fast as possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to escape suffering in our lives. But in the midst of trying to escape it, what Peter is telling us here is saying that we should also try to seek how God is teaching us in the midst of these difficult times. How God is at work making us more like him in these times. 
That's what he says in verse 7 when he talks about uh, praise and honor and glory that will be revealed when, when Jesus Christ is revealed at the last times. And when I first read that verse, when I first read about this glory and praise and honor that's going to be revealed when Jesus comes back, first thing I thought, well, of course, that's talking about God. God is in view because when God comes back, obviously he's going to be pretty glorious. He's going to be pretty honorable. He's going to be worthy of praise in that time. But it doesn't really fit the context. What Peter is doing here when he's talking about this glory and honor and praise, he's talking about us. He's talking about how we respond to the hardships that we face. When Peter mentions that he wants us to see that our our faith is tested and proven genuine, he's telling us that if our faith is shown to be genuine, if we endure in the midst of these difficulties, then God's going to reward us. That God is going to, uh, he's going to be up there and he's going to be clapping for us saying, well done, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you glory for what you have done because you have shown yourself worthy by staying faithful to me. In the midst of that, when, when he showers that on us, we just give it right back and say, all right, God, well, it was only because of you that you helped me through these difficult times. One of the reasons why we can endure is because we have a reward to look forward to. In a way, what Peter is referring to here is a lot like what Jesus is referring to in the parable of talents in Matthew chapter 25. Now, in Matthew chapter 25, it's just a few days before Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us. And as he is on the road to the cross, he tells his disciples this parable, this story that he makes up. And he says that there's this one guy who has three investment managers. And he gives one of his investment managers 100 bucks. Another one he gives 50, and another one he gives 10. And he says, all right, go invest this, and I'll come back someday, and I want to see the return on investment. So the first guy, he, he invests it, and he, he chooses wisely, and he, he doubles the amount of money that he's got. He turns that $100 into $200. The second guy does the same. He turns that $50 into uh, $100, so he, he gets a double there. But this third guy, he takes his $10, and he's afraid of the market, and so he just hides it under a mattress. And the master comes back, and he's relatively disappointed with the third one, but he's pretty happy with the second and the first one. And this parable tells us The point of this parable is that God has given us all gifts. God has blessed each of us with different levels of giftedness. But that doesn't matter as much as what we do with that giftedness. Some of us may have a level of, you know, $100 worth of giftedness. Some of us may only have $10 worth of giftedness, like me. And what doesn't matter is how much gifts we have. It's what we do with those gifts. So if you are... uh, popular, funny, smart, everyone likes to be around you, and yet you spend that all on yourself, then you're embezzling God's money and using it on yourself rather than on him and on his kingdom. So that's one way of interpreting the parable of the talents. But another way, I think, uh, is a little different. Another way of looking at it is each of the different seasons in our lives represents one of these different investment managers. When our life is going perfect, And everything is just wonderful about it. God has given us $100 worth of good times to invest. And he wants to see a return on that investment. When we are going through some of the darkest times in our lives, God is giving us $10. God may be only giving us $1. But he doesn't want us to just hide it under the mattress. He wants us to be a good steward of it, to, to invest and to get a return on that by pouring 
out for others and being faithful in the midst of the suffering that we experience. The parable of talents tells us that no matter what season we are in, God calls us to be faithful in that season. That's going to look different for different people when it comes to suffering. When it comes to the hard times of life, for some of us, it may just be, I'm going to lean on God more and more through prayer and through Bible reading, and I'm going to trust in him. For others of us, it may mean that you need to go see a Christian counselor. And still for others, it might mean that you need to share your story with others as a way to encourage them in the midst of their difficulties, in the midst of their dark times as well. I don't know what God is calling us to do in the midst of the difficulties of our lives, but I do know that God wants us to be faithful in the midst of those. We can rejoice that God walks with us. We can rejoice that our trials are temporary. And we can rejoice that God will one day reward us in the midst of those. And because of all those things, we can also know that we can trust God for the future. A big picture of God trusts him for the future. Let's look at these final verses, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your, soul, of your souls. What Peter is telling us here is that faith will help us endure in the darkest times of our lives. Faith is going to be what gets us through in the midst of the toughest times that we face. And some of us may be hearing that and saying, okay, yeah, Jordan, that makes sense for the super Christians. That makes sense for the people who have a lot of faith, but I don't have enough faith for it to help me through the difficult times that I face. And that tells us a little bit about our messed up understanding of faith in our culture. See, faith is really important today in, in America. But when it comes to faith, it doesn't really matter so much what you have faith in so much as, as long as you have faith. So if you have faith, then that's good, but it doesn't matter so much where your faith is in. You can have faith actually in faith itself, which makes no sense. But you can have faith in faith, and that is okay according to our culture. And this messed up view of faith tells us that it really matters how much faith we do have. See, the Bible tells us something differently. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. You can have a lot. You can have as much as a grain of of a mustard seed. It doesn't matter about the quality of your faith. You can have a strong faith or a weak faith. What matters is the object of your faith, who you place your trust in. See, faith in Jesus is ultimately not about faith at all, it's about Jesus, it's about God. So what Peter is telling us here is that in your difficulties, in the dark times that you face, trust in God and don't trust in your faith, but trust in God in the midst of those to help you make it through. This is why he talks about Jesus being our primary source of joy in our life. That what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus is doing for us tells us that we can have joy in him. See, our inheritance brings us joy. It's not wrong to have joy over the fact that God is going to one day allow us to live in his kingdom with him forever. But our ultimate, ultimate joy is found in who Jesus is and what he has done. The fact that he is coming back for us 
The fact that he will return one day and establish his kingdom gives us hope and gives us the ability to hold on in the darkest times of our lives. One of my favorite pastors is this guy named J.C. Ryle. And J.C. Ryle was a pastor in the early 1800s. And at one point he said, the, great, the, single greatest motiv- or the second coming is the single greatest motivator for holiness in the Christian life. In other words, what he's saying is that the fact that Jesus is coming back one day is the greatest source of us growing in holiness because we don't want to be caught off guard. We want to be ready for him when he comes, and we don't know when he's going to come. So we are always focused on growing so that way we can be like him when he comes back. I love that statement. It's such a true statement. But I want to add something to that. The second coming of Jesus is also the single greatest motivator to hold on in the dark times of our lives. The fact that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, gives us hope that this is temporary, that this too will pass, and that he's going to establish his kingdom, and that we're going to be a part of that someday. And that is truly, truly good news. If you notice throughout this, when Peter keeps talking about joy, mentions joy over and over again and how he has joy. He's filled with joy over, over what God has done and, and who God is and, and all of that. And That's what he talks about when he, when he mentions this inexpressible joy. This inexpressible joy is in the fact that Jesus is one day going to come back. Uh, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom and we're going to be a part of that kingdom someday here on this earth. So how do we have joy? How do we cultivate joy in our lives? Well, first thing is just to stop looking at our circumstances and look to God himself. A couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned a quote from this guy named Ajith Fernando. And this Ajith said, uh, ga- or, glance at your problems, but gaze at Jesus. That's really what Peter is saying here too. Glance at your problems, but gaze at Jesus. Recognize that your problems are there, but focus your eyes upon Jesus and seek him in the gospel, seek him in the Bible and seek him in his word. You see, this joy, this fact that God is a big God, really serves as an anchor for us. In the midst of the difficulties of our lives, it serves as an anchor that keeps us afloat. See, an anchor really keeps a boat afloat in the midst of a storm. There are going to be times where the boat gets beat up. There are going to be times where the boat takes on a lot of water, but most of the time the boat will endure. And understanding God as a big God, really having the right view of who God is, helps us in our difficult times to endure, to make it through, and to trust in Him. So the question I leave you with as we close this morning is, do you have a big picture of God? Do you have a big understanding of who God is as a very big God? One who is in charge over everything, who will walk with you, who will protect you in the midst of the suffering of your life. And if you say, no, that's not me. I I recognize that I don't have a big view of God. Well, the easiest way to have a big picture of God is just to study who Jesus is in the Gospels. The more you look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us in the Gospels, the bigger our picture of God gets. And the bigger our picture of God gets, the more we worship him. And we can echo the words that Peter gives us here, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This news that God is a big God 
holds us fast in the midst of the storms of this life. There's a, a Russian author, uh, his name was uh, Dostoevsky, and he, and he says it this way. He says, the darker the night, the brighter the stars. The deeper the grief, the closer is God. The deeper the grief, the closer is God. When you are facing difficult times, when you're facing hardship and suffering, it's not wrong to seek to get out of that. But in the midst of seeking to get out of it, see what God is teaching you and how God is molding you to become more like him in the midst of this. It gives you an opportunity to cling to God like never before in the midst of these difficult, dark times. And so I leave you with this one phrase. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. One pastor puts it this way. He says, our sufferings cost us so much that they're too valuable to waste. Suffering costs us a lot. It takes a lot out of us. And so it would be foolish to waste the opportunities that God gives us, the hard times that God gives us, and to not be faithful, to not see our faith tested and proven genuine in the midst of those dark times because our God is a big God. Our God is a God worthy to be trusted in, a God who is worthy to be praised in. And as we cling to him, that gives us hope. As we cling to him, that gives us the peace to move forward and to grow as we trust in him in all things. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would come and help us to turn our faith upon you right now. That we would fix our gaze upon you, the author and redeemer of our salvation. And that as we do that, that you would help us to have a big view of who you are, a big view of what you have done for us. And God, a a heart overflowing with gratitude and joy. God, for those who are suffering right now, who are in the midst of hardships and difficulties, I pray that you would walk with them. And not only that you would walk with them, but that they would feel your presence in the midst of that. God, be with us as we go forth from here. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.